Hello, painters. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Hello, hello to all of you lovely painters. We have a couple of dense episodes, maybe so dense that we might need to split this up in twain. Yeah, I think this might end up being two episodes, but today we are tackling the magic broadly as it exists on Komashi, everything from the awakened investiture machine to the spirits. We've also got painting, rock stacking, lots of different things going on with sort of the mechanics of the investiture on this planet. So we'll see where our conversations take us and kind of how how far we get. But before we do that, we have to say hello and thank you to a couple of our new patrons, Mason and Eric. Hey, guys, welcome. Yes, thank you so much for joining as a member over on Patreon. Patreon is actually doing some new stuff, including allowing for free membership. Normally, it was called like followers and it was de-emphasized, but they've kind of reintegrated those individuals. So we appreciate all of the free followers, now free members over on Patreon, but we have a little bit of a promo, maybe hoping to bump some people up to that paid level, but really as a celebration of the year of Sanderson concluding, we will be doing a raffle giveaway for a leatherbound and or an object from Dragonsteel of lesser value than a leatherbound, depending on what the winner wants. That is title just rolls right off the tongue. It's great for SEO. I think we're going to attract a lot of people to this giveaway. (laughs) Here are the rules. It's very simple. If you join up as a patron from this moment until the 1st of December and remain a patron for all the month of December, you are a paid member of our Patreon for the month of December. On January 1st, we will look at everybody's name, put them all in a digital hat, and then draw from them to select a winner, and that person can get any leather-bound that is not the Stormlight Archive because those cost too much money, but anything of $100 or less value on Dragonsteel. If there are any issues with holiday supply chain, not having what you want, don't worry, we'll work it out with that winner specifically. But just as a thank you to all of our patrons throughout the year, this amazing year of Sanderson, we wanted to have one big final giveaway. So join up on Patreon and stay as a patron through the month of December. And I think that you actually have some feedback from a patron, a theory that we think would be incorporated perfectly into this episode on the magic and mechanics of Kamashi and Yumi and the Nightmare Painter more broadly. Tell me about this theory from one of our listeners. Yeah, this is an explanation that I think is going to be useful throughout this Yumi book club. And this comes from listener Mike H, who sent us a message on Facebook. Thank you, Mike. I really loved this analogy that he made after listening to the first uh, Yumi book club episode. And he says... 
that he is imagining sort of the various different states of a person being invested as a Twinkie. So he says, quote, imagine a person is a Twinkie. The plastic bag is identity. It wraps up and contains the whole thing. The cake is the person's own investiture. The cream filling is the sole investiture. The father machine runs on cream. It takes all the nearby Twinkies, punctures the bag and the cake, and sucks out all the cream and then discards the bag and the cake, which become the miasma. Thinking broader, a breathless from Nalthus would be a bag with just cream and no cake. Someone like Yumi would have a huge amount of cake, but the same amount of cream. One of the spirits might be just cream with no cake and no bag, end quote. This is a wonderful analogy and really helps me, a sweet treat lover, really visualize what's going on in the rather complex conversation about identity and a spirit web, a soul, and a body, all of these things we have had many discussions about. But I think this Twinkie analogy, wrapper, cake, and cream, really works out nicely. So thank you so much, Mike. Okay, with that in our tool belt, let's dive into the episode about magic and machines. Yeah, because it's a big, broad Cosmere, and I think that the density of writing that Brandon did around these secret projects is helpful in recognizing some themes, things that he may be Mm, interested in and have brought into the Cosmere via the secret projects. And so like when there's similarities in the secret projects, I think we should all pay attention. And because of the magic and the vibrancy of that magic in Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, I think we're gonna have a lot to tease out, a lot to play with. Yeah, and as you said, I think... With these secret projects, we're getting to see a little bit more of some of the underlying uh, structure of the Cosmere and investiture in general that maybe if Brandon had been like planning something for publication, we either wouldn't have gotten or it may have been a little bit more simplified or watered down. He's specifically said that because the entire plot of this book involves such dense investiture and Cosmere information. That's essentially why he had to just have Hoyd like dictate everything because it was too complex. So there's a lot going on. I think we should start with just a little tag back to our previous episode when we were talking about the number association of the shard virtuosity. Yeah, we had talked about the number two being apparent and quoted a, a word of Brandon that discussed how two duplicity or the duology that may be seen elsewhere in the Cosmere is turned up to 11 or turned up to two <laughs> as our joke went. And we forgot about the other possible 11 plus two scenario. Yes. Thank you to the patron who shouted this out. And I was like, no, this was in our notes. We just forgot to talk about it. There is another word of Brandon. uh, And this comes from a questioner, Neon Borealis. They asked, 
The story, Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, uses the Fibonacci sequence several times as a recurring element related to art and the golden ratio. Given that nightmares need, quote, over a dozen feedings to materialize and the number 13 features heavily on Yumi's rituals, would you say that 13 is related to virtuosity in the same way that 16 is to preservation and 10 is to honor? And Brandon responds, wow, good guess. So in both of these Word of Brandon scenarios, we don't actually have a hard confirmation of like, yes, two is virtuosity's number, or yes, 13 is virtuosity's number. So question mark? Now, I do want to at least point out that it is Yumi's rituals who often include 13. We are supposed to believe that all of the Yokihijo are basically the same, kind of like copies of each other in... Yeah, doing the same sort of rituals and routines. But maybe a far speculation is that 13 is Yumi's number, as in she is oh. the 13th Yokihijo. Yeah, there are 14 total and she is the 13th. As just a possibility, why hmm. 13 is apparent, but also 2 is apparent, and just like to... Yeah, well, I'm not a math person. Is 2 part of the Fibonacci sequence? Absolutely. Two okay. is definitely okay. part of the Fibonacci sequence, as is 13. Yeah. And so they do at least go together-ish in that way. Absolutely. It would kind of bust up my idea of it being related to the number of Yokihijos you right. are, because many of the numbers 1 through 14 are not. Are not. Part. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I do think that numerology is always fun to play around with, and certainly the numbers that correspond to parts of the Cosmere are significant. And we know that. And so keep an eye out for all of those instances of both the number two and the number 13 when you're reading Yumi. Okay, let's talk about investiture. We get some great quotes from design in particular about the nature of investiture and sort of more information on just investiture in general. I like this one, quote, Investiture is what souls are made out of, said design. Well, everything is investiture because matter, energy, and investiture are all the same. But souls, as you'd call them, are part of our beings that are pure investiture. Like fire is energy. This table is matter. Souls, investiture. And Yumi's spirits? Likely investiture too, design said. I haven't met them, so I can't say. But the nightmares are pure investiture, end quote. That throws up a bunch of interesting things, but the concept of matter, energy, and investiture being the same is also something Brandon echoed in The Lost Metal, yeah. which was the most recently published book before The Secret Projects. And so I do believe that that is on his mind, and when combined with Thytokar's revelation at the end and Wayne's revelation at the end about how important pushing and pulling are, I feel like this other concept of matter, energy, and investiture being the same is equally important, kind of a fundamental nature of the Cosmere that is played around with in all these different versions that we see. Mm -hmm. And to keep in mind for the later parts of this episode, nightmares are pure investiture. We talked about this a little bit last time in relation to the machine and how exactly these souls became the shroud, etc. So that's just another note in that realm. I think that we can go to one of the questions and answers with Brandon for a little bit of a better understanding 
on what the nightmares are, we have the questioner saying, quote, Are the nightmares an example of midnight essence? And Brandon responding with, no, Midnight Essence has a bit more of a personality and predates the shattering. The nightmares are cognitive shadows, a bit like fossils, but then the machine and miasma are kind of hijacking and infusing with investiture in order to give physical form. It's closer to if a light weaving was placed on top of a cognitive shadow, maybe against their will, end quote. And I think that helps us understand how the nightmares are controlled by the machine via the miasma, but at their core, they are cognitive shadows of people like Leon, who is in a very specific role of being used and then forgotten or cast aside by the machine. It uses her as a representation. It changes the light weaving for the teaching of Yumi and then discards her in a way where she reverts to a nightmare is how I understand it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the awakened investiture machine that we actually see in the book for the most part. This is the baby machine, not the big father machine, but the smaller one that the scholars are able to bring to the town. And we see a little bit more of this machine, which we can sort of extrapolate out to the father machine. Basically, the way that we see it working is that it needs a power source. So uh, in all of this time, it seems that maybe they haven't really figured out this whole power source situation yet. Clearly, it went wrong the first time, and it appears to still need a catalyst because when the scholars arrive, they have an entire conversation about this problem. Would you like to do a dramatized reading with me? As always, yes. Quote, it's the power source, Gyundok Nimi. We never had a problem with the power source for the father machine, the lead scholar snapped. Pardon, Gyundok Nimi, another scholar said, lounging in pillows with half-eaten fruit. But we absolutely have had problems with the father machine's power. The incident, Gyundok said, and Yumi could sense the capital letter there. Hasn't been an issue for years. The other three scholars shared a glance. Fine, Gyunak Yuni said, his hands going to his hips. If it's the power source, you prime it, Sunjun. The machine is small. It will be safe. Sunjun, the scholar working on the machine, raised his hands and backed away from it. Not a chance. We need a spirit, said the man, lounging in the pillows. Is that all, Hanam? The leader said, spinning toward him. Our machine that draws spirits needs a spirit to start, you say? What a useful observation. End quote. L-O-L. <laughs> he just names the exact problem that has led to this entire story. Our machine that draws spirits needs a spirit to start. Yes, yes, this is the problem that has not been fixed because the scholars are nightmares and have not uh, learned anything new in the last 17 centuries. Right. These scholars are merely manifestations for the Yoki Hijo. This is all what happened before, and it's so it's being copied over time by the machine to trap the Yoki Hijo in their false world that they live in. But the actual scholars haven't been doing any scholaring. There's right. no improvements they to these machines. They haven't had the chance to learn from their previous mistake. 
Exactly. The machine is trying to solve the problem of Yumi beginning to break free of her prison. Uh, and it specifically sort of wakes back up these four cognitive shadows, letting them take on their previous personalities of the scholars and is like, hey, go do your scholar thing again. Try to figure out this Yokihijo situation. Believing that if the scholars could, in fact, draw spirits, that Yumi would not be needed. But of course, Yumi is a prisoner. So this is just a charade of sorts, because the scholars are never going to figure out this problem unless we start to get into the realm of, is the father machine an AI capable capable of advancing or innovating and creating a new, which is yeah. why my subtle argument in the background has always been no, because this is just a repeat performance. You know, this is just uh, the troop going back out on stage and doing another round of the same play, but they're not writing a new play. And therefore, yeah. the father machine is not Shakespeare. It's just got that one play that it can spit out again, because that's all that existed in its own time. There are also, we learn, high on lines inside the machine. Yumi is able to sort of look inside this baby machine and she recognizes the high on lines from her time uh, in Painter's World. And she notices that the lines connect the machine to the scholar and then a second pair of lines form connecting the machine to her. Obviously, the machine is using these two sources of investiture because they are both cognitive shadows to jumpstart itself is essentially what happens. But I think this is the first time that we specifically see spirit power, investiture connected to the high on lines. Yeah, the high on lines may in fact be a way of seeing what we always emphasize is capital C connection. Those oh, ways of throughout the Cosmere people being capital C connected. It seems like the high on lines might represent a, a physical or tangible version of that, maybe hyper concentrated into the bands or, you know, whatever hmm. they are. Would you see high on lines between Yumi and Painter then? I think that there would be something connected because we have talked about their capital C connection. Yeah. And I feel like they're... My short answer would be yes, but we don't. Hmm. Like the version of the story we are told doesn't have shown high on lines between them, mm -hmm. but we know that their connection is so strong that Painter is able at the end to bring forth a cognitive shadow from the cognitive realm into the physical world as a physical being. I would suspect that's done in some way with the high on lines, but I, oh. I could be wrong. I like the idea that they're related to connection. I don't know. I think maybe it's more specific than just all capital C connection and that maybe it is specifically representing the connection of like the physical world to the spiritual world or something like that. When we start talking about the spirits, we are going to start talking about how sort of the land itself plays into all of this. So it might have something to do with that is my thought. 
That's a good point. And before we get there, let's talk a little bit about the creations that this baby machine is able to create. The machine makes spirit devices or spirit fabrials like Yumi does, but they are smaller, they don't work as well, and you know, seemingly less valuable, less useful for the people as an end result. Yeah, they're your, you know, Costco brand uh fabrials, not the high-end fabrials. That's some shade at Costco who I know many people love. Maybe a, a Walmart brand. Um. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Pick your uh brand of not choice. Yumi notices, quote, the machine, she thought, keeps a piece of the spirit's soul. That's why the gifts the scholars create don't work as well. It was collecting strength to maintain its power or for some other purpose, end quote. This speculation is kind of quick. I don't know if we see an end result from it, but the concept of another purpose is where I believe other people have stronger arguments about the father machine, you know, trying to do something else, a new Mm, purpose. Yeah, why it is reserving some of the power that it gets. Yes, exactly. And if it was, you know, trying to build enough power so it could overpower the Yokihijo in a more Mm. direct way, it's slowly like siphoning like a Ponzi scheme or something, you know, taking a dime from every transaction Mm. is just enough. Well, could it just be that the machine is end negative and the natural way of doing it is end neutral you know there's something lost in the transaction with the machine that doesn't exist when a human being is doing it i think that's a really good call i think there's even a possibility that yumi and the spirits is in positive. And so to oh. her it might look like a loss but the actual machine is operating in neutral Because Hmm. it's saying it's saving some for itself, the father machine. But maybe it's just saving the extra to that would move it from in positive to in neutral. And so like the, uh, you know, it's rounding down instead of rounding up type of situation. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, we'll, We'll circle back to this when we start talking about the actual like rock stacking and the exchange that seemingly takes place throughout that, because that might have something to do with this situation. Yeah, I do think there's some similarities to the Aethers that we see in Tress and kind of the relationship between the Aethers and their spore eaters. So we'll come back to that, but that's just a fun little pin that I've dropped in for later. Okay, now let's talk about the big one, the father machine. We talked about this a lot last time, but we're going to be a little bit more specific this time about exactly how it's working, what it's doing, what effects it has had on this world. Starting with this, quote, that is because of the instructions we gave the machine, he explained. We built it to protect itself and to harvest energy from the spirits. These are not the machine's wishes any more than a tree wants to grow. But once it started drawing on us, on all of us, we defended it because because we were then part of it somehow. End quote. So we have an interesting contrast here, I think, that goes back to your thoughts about is this an AI? Is it not AI? On one hand, we get confirmation that these are not the machine's wishes. It is not thinking and desiring things. It is just the instructions that it has been given to protect itself and harness energy. Right. 
And then because the bits of investiture that are people's souls become part of the investiture machine sort of cycle, they are then also somewhat subject to the instruction of protect it. Yes. And I think that goes exactly back to the concept of the spore eater who is given protection by the aethers so that the spore eater can transmit more of what the aether wants. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of, you know, symbiotic fungal relationship there. And here yeah, it's we, kind of the inverse. Right. There's just a, a similar like hive mind, but it's definitely the inverse or a flipped opposite. But I do think that it's very interesting that once consumed by the machine, they are part of the machine and therefore want to defend the machine. Yeah. And I think this explains a lot of the behavior of these cognitive shadows, these nightmares, pieces of investiture that we see when it sort of seems like maybe the machine is specifically manipulating them and like making them be its agents and things like that. I think it's maybe closer to say that this quote is coming into play, that they are simply somewhat a part of the ecosystem of the machine and therefore somewhat subject to the instructions that the machine was given. Right. And the machine itself is not really cognizant or seemingly is not really cognizant. Yeah. It's just growing. Again, like this isn't the ideation of a new thing. It is the instruction that was initially given to the machine. And so that's where I think there could be some difference because the Aethers having preceded ad nauseum and the shattering i think might Supposedly. actually yes <laughs> allegedly might have more sentience and, and choosing more of their route in existence yeah where the machine sure. is merely operating on its programming and that programming was ill-defined and therefore led to a bad impact for the people who created it right the effect of this father machine, as we talked about, sort of not creates the scholars, but it rebirths the cognitive shadows of the scholars into the world. They, as that previous quote said, then start to serve the machine's programming in protecting it from Yumi, basically. And they are not fully, I would say, cognitive shadows, or at least like they're not able to independently maintain their identities. Like there seems to be something about what has happened here, the shroud, the identity-ness of it all that makes it much more difficult for these cognitive shadows to maintain their personality, identity, memory, and we see that in this interaction, quote, all four turned to her as if seeing her anew, their darkness lengthened, their white eyes glowing. They went from willowy shadows to full nightmares in a smooth transition. No, Yumi said, don't let the machine control you. We can stop it. Why? The lead scholar asked. We created it, another said. It is our purpose. Our, our energy. energy. Our art. As they spoke, their figures blended together, their voices losing individuality. Though she'd been able to tell them apart at first, hearing their voices, the men she'd spied on in the tent, now they just became nightmares. 
It is life. All obey. All souls. All of us. End quote. Creepy. So creepy. There is kind of a Matrix-esque vibe to this whole story where the machines, or specifically the agents, were able to take over the body and form of any of the non-freed people, like not Neo and his friends. But they it was always a threat that the agents were right around the corner. And seemingly that's kind of what has happened in this moment, is that the machine's full sentience or cognizance, whatever that may be, has focused on these scholars and is now speaking simultaneously through them all as if they were all turned into an agent at once. And now you have to run. That's what you need to do, Yumi. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder, I wonder if this difference in the cognitive shadows here is simply because they're existing in an ecosystem that has directives basically where like a normal cognitive shadow when it becomes a cognitive shadow there's not this other power kind of connected to it with its own rules right and these cognitive shadows kind of all got processed through the machine and then regurgitated out right into the miasma yeah and so i think what we need to do is also bring in another connection to Therenity with the shades, which are not quite cognitive shadows, but are also something like a cognitive they shadow. They seem to have almost the opposite problem, where we see evidence that they remember who they are and like remember their previous loved ones, mm-hmm. but have less physical substance and less ability to, for example, speak. Right. And so I think that basically the machine is giving enough investiture to like bring these cognitive shadows into the physical form and the investiture cloud the shroud seemingly may be filled with like everybody's identity and then there's like these little light bulbs of cognitive shadow and when the machine gives investiture it's also like telling the identity where to go and so just by themselves they're not a full cognitive shadow. Yeah. They're not like Kelsier was. Right. Who may have, you know, re- rejected all aspects of normalcy. But we know that people, when they transition, go through, at least on Skadriel, this process of like their physical body dying, their cognitive shadow waving goodbye to Fuzz, and then almost everyone fading into the spiritual realm. Kelsier says no, but in the period where before he says no, he's kind of fading. He's kind of yeah. like losing his grip. And then he, you know, I will survive all that jazz. It kind of like solidifies him. So he was almost able to like grab his identity as it was escaping and kept it on his cognitive shadow, kept right. it sticky. But all these people, because they were processed by the machine, I think their identity kind of got lost. And so it's like they're a soul that can't be destroyed but they don't necessarily have all of their identity until you start pointing investiture at them or the machine starts pointing investiture at them and they start to get that back. And Leon, who had that done so many times, she, like Kelsier, was right. able to start Started grabbing to pieces. coalesce a little bit more. Without the direction of the machine. Yeah. She was doing it without that control like the scholars have. Yeah, because it is also said that the machine is able to make 
the nightmare is like more stable and stronger. So it has, I think that's that's tying in here, this ability to sort of coalesce a cognitive shadow or an identity together. And then when it releases its grip a little bit, it disintegrates a little bit. Or not disintegrates, but it just separates and sort of gets more amorphous. Exactly. And you have to be someone like Leun who can kind of maintain and not become amorphous like a cloud it's almost you know like they're bringing the the shroud into themselves to give themselves form but with normally only the machine's control can that stay uh and leon makes it stay a little bit but as soon as the machine lets go the cloud just drifts off and that includes the identity Mm -hmm. that made up that cognitive shadow yeah okay one other sort of cool thing that the scholars have that I don't really understand is they have these goggles that can see cognitive shadows or like they can see through the illusion that makes Painter look like Yumi. So they have some maybe like light weaving piercing (laughs) goggles. And I guess this would have to be a tool that they had before the father machine. Yeah, we have said that we don't think they're inventing actual new stuff. Right. And so I do think this would have been an invention that existed in Yumi's time. And Wild. That's We've not never some... seen anything like this. Definitely not. I feel like there's some hints that Nas and maybe Chris have, you know, interesting artifacts and tools. Yeah. But certainly nothing this direct. And I'm wondering if it has anything to do with either silver, like we see in Tress, destroying investiture, mm-hmm. or maybe aluminum somehow. I-, I don't know. Like if the if there was some sure. like silver in the actual vision display, the uh-huh. actual lens. Yeah. Maybe that's like cutting. Right. So you're getting a light weaving version coming towards your eyes. And when it hits the silver, it doesn't go through. And so you're only looking like kind of like a how 3D glasses work. Like each one is, a you know, the red and the blue. Yeah. But if you cover up one eye or close one eye, everything kind of breaks. And so that would be what's going on is basically these goggles break the illusion and allow you to not see 3D <laughs> or not see the light weaving on top of Painter. Yeah. It's very interesting. And it also seems more technologically advanced than this society it just i don't know it raises questions for me about like where did these goggles come from how did they get them did they come from a world hopper or something maybe the just the the rest of the society that we see in yumi's fake world which we're assuming was the world pre-father machine doesn't seem like it is advanced enough to have something like goggles. But I guess they also made an awakened investiture machine. So that's pretty advanced. Yeah, that's actually reminding me of another word of Brandon where he was asked by members of the 17 Shard, quote, is the father machine awakened by breath or is this a more general term? The latter. Especially by the time of this story, the language has changed, so they have an understanding of awakened machines, but it's not necessarily breaths, end quote. I think that's important to remember is that this story, even Yumi's world and like Yumi's death of her world, is far in the future of where we are at now in the Cosmere, and then another 1700 years has gone by. I think that the people who built the father machine were already 
many generations past something like Stormlight 4 or Stormlight 5, which is wild to think about because then there's another 1,700 years on top of that story. But seemingly, they could have Fabrials from other parts of the Cosmere, like something like Rashar. Right, yeah. I think this also gives us terminology to go back to our famous argument about uh magical technology in the cosmere it seems that awakened is simply being used as a sort of general descriptor of fabrials that are using investiture to work yes everybody's favorite game show is it magic or is it technology i think can be partially answered by the question, is it an awakened machine? Yeah. Because an awakened machine, unlike what I'm defining as technology, would have some type of investiture. So that's most of the fabrials we're familiar with. Which I think is the future of the Cosmere, which I feel like my position is being supported here. It's definitely a part of the future (laughs) of the Cosmere. But I also think that regular... They don't have electricity. They have Hyon, which is investiture being created by an awakened machine. Certainly. Why go the more difficult route of using your brain to invent things if you have just free-floating investiture hanging out? Yeah. I think (laughs) that an item like a stopwatch that is working either mechanically or, you know, eventually down the road through electricity, the radio... Those things on Scadrial have no awakened bits. They right. have no yes. light magic. bulbs, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. All of that stuff is what I call technology or what we're labeling technology. So any of these machines that have awakened, even if it's not by breaths, right. would definitely fall into what we would say is magic because it's a fabrial. Yeah, exactly. Would you like to talk more about nightmares. Yeah, this is Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. Let's get into the nightmares because I'm learning a bunch just in this episode and talking it out with you. I feel like I'm, you know, coalescing some of the nightmare back around me and forming the Tyler that is. It's helpful to sort of make sense of all of this really dense Cosmere stuff that happens in this novel. Yeah, as you said, Brandon claimed that with his beta readers, a lot of them were complaining that you basically had to be a scholar of the Cosmere. You really had to be like turned up to 11. Which, even still, I feel like that is the case. I feel over my head in my Cosmere scholarness. Right. And so if Brandon was more subtly interweaving all of these aspects, instead of having a big dump of information from Hoyt, and it's just like slowly presented in a more esoteric way. Or just like, you get it, right? Exactly. <laughs> so you'll understand. Like, what? Just be like, no, we How will did that not. happen? We are dum-dums. Tell us <laughs> yeah. the story. And I think that it was, I mean, you can use the phrase dumb, but I think that it's important to remember who the audience is and how the audience is different than the creator. We are not able to be in Brandon's mind the same way he is in his mind. Yeah, and we don't necessarily intuitively understand all of the ways that the Cosmere works. Which I think is similar to what a Leon is kind of dealing with and what the people of painter society are realizing they're dealing with with these nightmares that are also cognitive shadows. Like there is a memory of investiture, a memory that they know something more. Yes. Like this, quote, the machine let them be themselves, the lead scholar said. It's what happens when it needs us. 
It's hard, though, to walk the line between memory of what we were and the reality of what we have become. They have to be kept from understanding their natures. Otherwise, there are complications, end quote. So this is essentially what is happening to Li Yun. And this is why, as you were saying earlier, the nightmares, the identity investiture gets dispersed throughout the shroud to keep the memory and the reality (laughs) separate. Uh, I assume that probably some of these cognitive shadows would like either start going crazy or start trying to escape as Leun sort of does. Certainly Leun might represent the biggest fear in terms of like being undermined by the cognitive shadow thing that you created not great from the perspective of the machine. But I think what you said about someone losing their mind, losing their cognitive mind, is probably what is most often a complication. Yeah, because if you are trapped in the Mm -hmm. shroud, but you are aware of the fact that you are trapped and you used to be a human and like now you're imprisoned in this weird spiritual way. No one wants to live like that for 17 centuries. Right. It is probably only because the Yokihijo are treated in the way that Yumi is that they maintain yeah. themselves because then you start to get into, you know, the problems of the heralds or other long-lived entities. Yeah, the Yokihijo are kind of a middle way where they have memory but only up to a certain point. And they have enough of a semblance of a routine life that they're able to stay sane and not go crazy. Right. It's almost like a workaround to the problem of the heralds as if the inventors of the machine or the machine itself was aware of what happens or had happened in the Cosmere's past. I don't really think it's that far, but I do think that's what we're dealing with when we're looking at these nightmares. And design has something to say about this that I want to go over. Yeah, I think that memory plays a really big part in this whole nightmare cognitive shadow thing. I've been waiting for this quote all episode. Go for it. Quote, everyone imprints memories in their investiture, design said. It's why a cognitive shadow remembers everything the body did. If the body dies, storms, you people don't know anything. Look, in highly invested individuals in particular, memories get spread through your whole soul, okay? End quote. Tell me what you loved about this. I think that this is the key to understanding how and why the nightmares are doing what they're doing. And we've broken this down a, a little bit throughout the course of this episode, but I think that the the way that the memory of the cognitive shadow is being either separated or suppressed from the cognitive shadow within the shroud by the machine, you know, is why they are sometimes turning into nightmares. And then sometimes, you know, in the case of Leun and, for example, the scholars or something like that, turning sort of back into themselves. They're being re-given their memory, at least up until a certain point. And then, of course, this memory quote also tells us a lot about the end of Rhythm of War and the Hoyd question. That's definitely a great point because Hoyd 
seemingly loses his memory in that interaction with Teravangi and gets reset in a way. Design was part of that situation. And she, you know, mm-hmm. she is a key player in that moment. And Hoyd, we know, is a highly invested individual. And therefore, he would follow this quote in that his memories would be spread throughout his entire soul. We also know that the reason Hoyd spends the entirety of this story trapped in stone and, you know, serving as a hat rack is because of that moment in Rhythm of War. And he's built a protective system into himself. So whenever his soul and his memories are attacked, it immediately (laughs) creates a defense. Not maybe the best system, but it seemingly did work. He was not able to be be attacked. And it just took three years or so for him to connect enough to Yumi and Painter uh, to eventually have an escape. But I, I think this is significant to remember for all of these highly invested beings is that, like you were saying, memory and identity is a core part. And... We saw Vasher, you know, holding that little rock, but we don't know what that stone means to him. And maybe he doesn't know what that stone means to him. I don't know. I think that this is something that is separating the quote unquote cognitive shadows of Komashi here with the other cognitive shadows that we have seen. Like maybe on their base level, they're all cognitive shadows, but... It seems to me that there's a difference here because of the memory piece, because of the fact that the cognitive shadows are not able to have their identity. They don't remember who they were, what they liked, etc., versus something like a Kelsier or etc., who do have that memory. Obviously, Vasher and the Returned are a little bit different because their memory from their pre-cognitive shadow life is right. gone. So maybe Vasher is a little bit closer? That's what I'm saying. I think Vasher represents an interesting midpoint between Kelsier on the one hand and the Nightmares on the other hand, because as this quote from Design points out, when did he become a highly invested individual? How much of, we'll call it, you know, pre-Vasher, because Vasher we should assume as the person who existed after becoming returned. Yeah. Whoever he was before is lost to him and it's lost. Every, so it's something other than Vasher, but you know, pre Vasher exists is pre Vasher, a highly invested entity that has their memories spread throughout their whole mm, soul. Probably May, not. Probably not would yeah. be my guess. Yeah. But I do think there is some imprint of the life that was led on the cognitive shadow and it, might not be easily erased. And so there's like a competing aspect where pre-Vasher's cognitive shadow is returned and then begins to build all those new memories as a highly invested individual. So it's like putting new imprints, maybe stronger imprints, onto the cognitive shadow that did exist. But there's still something at the base. There's still pre-Vasher that's deep down in there. And for me, that's what I think is like maybe reflecting on that rock is there that's the pre-Vasher aspect. Seemingly, this would also be part of why the Yokihijo are able to resist or like able to not just go into the shroud and be a identity-less piece of investiture. As highly invested entities, they have 
stronger ability to maintain their memories, is my guess. I would think so, because they are, unlike Prevasher, they are highly invested before the machine gets turned on. Yes. They are Yoki Hijo. They are like returned without dying. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, seemingly yeah. You know, chosen by virtuosity or whatever is going on. But that is a dividing line between something like Vasher and Yumi. Yumi was always a highly invested being. And so seemingly the imprints on her cognitive shadow were much stronger than the machine was able to strip away. It basically, you know, if you think of it, the machine like a gigantic wood shredder or wood chipper, uh, you know, you put a full tree in and it just spits out a bunch of chips. But occasionally if you throw a rock in there, it can't actually grind up the rock in the same way. And so it just like either breaks or spits out a gigantic rock. Yumi is kind of like the rock that just <laughs> went right through the machine and wasn't able to be fully destroyed. Maybe. I wonder if Yumi is maybe more like Boulder, where it like couldn't even Lifted go up. through. Yeah, couldn't fit the through the machine. Yeah, it was just like, I am too strong. Interesting. Okay, so <laughs> that would be the question I think is like, did Yumi go through the machine? Did all of the Yoki Hijo That's go through impression. the machine? My impression is that the machine reached out, grabbed all the easy souls, like tried to grab these big but they were too pieces heavy. of investiture. Yeah, but like that investiture was too strong mm -hmm. for it to just grab. But we do think that Yumi is dead. She like the only thing here is just the cognitive shadow mm. of Yumi. Yeah, I guess that's the question, right? Like, was she always a cognitive shadow because she is this highly invested entity, mm -hmm. you know, returned without being returned? But yeah, like, like a does that mean that she kind of is the closest thing that we've seen to what we would call a god, you know, like someone who is appears to be human, but was never human because she is so highly invested from birth. Right. You kind of like I mean? a, a you know, Jesus Christ superstar in a way. <laughs> Just a fully invested being that never was, but still appears to be human. Right. Until Painter brings her into reality. And at the end of the story, kind of fully brings I mean, her into the world. She's still, from my impression, a cognitive shadow at the end Right, there. she's not fully She just human. has physical form. In, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that that's interesting. What do you think? Let us know. Yeah. Did Yumi and the other Yoki Hijo go through the machine, or were they never able to be processed by the machine? And therefore, the machine then builds the fake worlds around them. Yeah, that might be in the text. But as we've said, there is so much in the text. I feel like we need a full group of scholars like going through the text and making notes. It's too much for just the two of us. One of the things that is important to note about the machine is that it's able to replace physical parts over time, that the nightmares basically come little mechanics for the machine. Or, you know, they become worker bees in a hive, building or rebuilding the hive as it breaks down. Obviously, it's been 17 centuries, and so this physical item has degraded over time as it's just been constantly working. Uh, and so it's able to replace all of those disintegrated pieces with investiture. Yeah. And Hoyt, as the narrator says this, quote, it would have 
long since broken down, but investiture, the smoke, repaired each worn joint, replaced each cracked limb. It was, you might say, an undead machine, end quote. Almost like a zombie or yes. a Frankenstein machine. I love this description of the machine. I think this also supports your idea that it is not AI because it is clearly stated here, not alive. It is undead. It is simply going through the motions, must eat brains, right? A zombie, yes. Yeah, not actually making any type of cognizant choice. That is very interesting just because of the timeline of how things lined up while chatbots and AI are really big in 2023, and that's when the book happened to be released. It wasn't written in 2023, but when it was written... Zombies were far more of like the cultural norm and part of entertainment and many different interpretations. And this as a kind of like zombie machine that's just operating on a pure programming, eat brains, eat spirits, is maybe more what's going on. Very fun to think about all these different versions of what could be happening. Yeah, it's interesting to see, as you're saying, how much the time period in which a book is released can affect the way in which it is received by the public. Because if this had been published in 2020 or before that, I don't know if anyone would be saying like, it's an AI, it's an AI. But because for the last year or so, as a culture, we've just been inundated with AI and conversations about AI, like it's just on our minds. And so everything we read, we're like reading AI into it. But it's just a, an interesting case study of how so many factors come into play when we read something or when we interact with any piece of art, we're bringing our own thoughts and experience and worldview and environment into the piece. I absolutely agree. And we are not separate from that. We are in part influencing everyone who is listening and, you know, taking our opinions and kind of putting them on the story. And if you had totally different opinions, we want you to let us know. We're going to do a companion episode, a part two of this when we really break down the magic, the rock stacking, the spirits, the high on lines. We're going to get into it all but we need to take a, a mental break and like reprocess everything that we have learned. Let us know what you're thinking, what's on your mind, and how you feel about Yumi and the nightmare machine that did exist. Thank you so much. And until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. Mm -hmm.